Welcome to the Optimal Mindset. I'm your host, Johnny Taylor. I started this show because I am fascinated by human capabilities and performance. Why is it that certain people reach their potential and how does their mindset help them to succeed? I want to understand what are the tools, tactics and strategies high achievers use to optimize their mind and achieve greatness. In these episodes, we'll be speaking to some of my personal idols from sports and performance to discover the definition of an optimal mindset and how we can train our own minds to achieve our biggest dreams. Please follow the show on Instagram and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so we can share out the inspiring messages within each episode with a wider audience. Remember, train your mind, optimize your life. All right, welcome to the show. Today's guest is David Samuel. Welcome, David. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's have fun. Perfect. Uh, so David is someone I've looked up to for a long time. He is uh, an ATP tennis coach, currently working with international athletes and has coached four Olympians. He is the author of the amazing book, Locker Room Power, Building, athlete, Building an Athlete's Mind, which contains some incredible tools to help athletes to thrive in high-pressure situations. I cannot wait to hear about your journey, and I know our listeners are going to learn so much from you. So, Obviously, you've had an amazing career in the field of mindset, tennis coaching, and, and obviously writing a book. Could you give us some background to what inspired you into this work and kind of why you wanted to dive deeper into this? Uh, well, first and foremost, I played college tennis and then uh, tried my hand at pro tennis for uh, a few years. Um, and I think looking back, I definitely underachieved because I really didn't know until late on in my career, what truly good tennis and good mindset was was all about. Uh, I, I was, you know, obviously already in trying to solve my own problems, going down the mindset route. Um, and then when I started playing and coaching and, and, and working more with players, uh, it became increasingly important to me to try and help them not make some of the mistakes you know you can't avoid all mistakes and you don't want to because people get tough through adversity but i definitely wanted to help some of the basic mistakes and also to have the journey be more enjoyable for players and the book came about when myself and jez green were jez green is a physical trainer uh started training blocks before anybody really did. I mean, Lendl did some kind of training blocks, but we actually took our players out for six weeks to make a real difference to them physically. And uh, they didn't play much tennis at the time uh, because they were doing such a severe training block. And when they came back to playing tennis, they were awful for the first month because <laughs> they didn't really get back into the tennis. So we, we adjusted training blocks where they do sort of two weeks you know, full training, no tennis, and then a couple of weeks where it was tennis being uh, the just maybe 45 minutes a day, just to keep your feel of the ball. Uh, and then if you have the luxury of an extra uh, couple of weeks, then it would be a 50-50 kind of process. And you can obviously condense that depending on how many weeks you've got to, to work with, uh, with players. And that started to work very well. Uh, 
and and that really toughened them up mentally because they felt so much better physically and that's a that is an important part of uh, mental toughness but i still felt and at that time british tennis you know pretty much had rozeski henman and and not really anybody else and i was working with the next bunch of players and i felt that british players for a long time had an inferiority complex and felt that you know foreigners were a lot tougher than they were so i started to talk to them about not being so bloody british and you know to go out there and know that they've done the work and that actually on tour we were working harder than pretty much anybody else and that will give you locker room power in other words people will start to notice and they'll start to fear what you're bringing to the table but you have to walk out there you have to understand that you're building locker room power so i talked to them a lot about building locker room power that around the locker room uh people needed to know you know that they were working really hard and see that they were working really hard and then with results and better and better results the fear factor would grow and so you know we went through this whole process and it worked very very well and uh you know i was you know took a lot of players from sort of you know three four hundred five hundred in the world into the top 200 and and even the top 100. so having gone through that whole thing i decided to uh start to put it down on paper really and so i mean it, it really over the course of five years i just would write almost like articles about it and then i had enough to say wow actually if this is edited and and put in the right format and everything like that it's actually a book and and that's what i did oh, amazing it sounds like a real incredible journey i wanted to i mean I'm, I'm just wondering this when you were playing college tennis did yeah. did your coaches ever talk about the mental game did they ever talk about like mindset or was that something that was kind of not really focused on uh no, I mean, it, it was all sort of just the basic motivation. Come on, you know, you give 100% for 110% for this university, you know, you know, you, you'll die for this university, you know, blood, blood and guts and just just motivational kind of sayings. But when you're really nervous and tight, these things can actually sometimes revert, you know, have the reverse effect where you actually feel extra pressure and don't know what to do about it. And I think a lot of mindset is uh, to actually have the tools in order to cope with different uh, adversity. And have, then, of course, it's up to the individual to have the discipline to implement the tools. Because, you know, I give the tools to a, a lot of uh, uh, athletes in different sports. And the most successful ones are the ones who have the discipline and are brave enough to to put them into practice even if they're feeling really bad i love it and I, yeah i totally agree with you there i think sometimes you know we can all mean well right by saying like you know be more motivated but when you're in the the white heat of battle when you're under pressure that often doesn't actually help right having those sayings might not actually help you actually need practical tools um so reading your book and i think that all 
athletes and all people um, you know involved in sh- in sports should definitely read your book. It's fantastic. I just want to give you a quote, and I want you to kind of unpack it. You said the greatest source of energy in the world is enthusiasm. What do you mean by this, and how can someone access this enthusiasm? Um, well, I mean, <laughs> really, it comes from having a love of what you're doing. Um, and I think the great thing about enthusiasm is it overcomes, you know, laziness and often even shyness. Uh, it's an amazing fuel. And I'm sure you would have felt it when you decide to start this podcast. And, you know, and I guess it was a huge buzz at the time. And, and why are you doing it now? Because it's something that you really feel compelled to do and have enthusiasm for it. Uh, I think if you don't have enthusiasm for something, you need to look at the reason, you know, why you're doing it. Because if you cannot be enthusiastic about it, maybe it's something that just doesn't actually float your boat. I think if you if you look at kids, they have boundless energy because they're so curious and everything they go into, uh, they they go in like full force. But if you start to bore a young kid, they get listless, they get lazy, they just don't want to do anything. And, you know, if you want to get a a young kid off the couch, you've got to stimulate them with something that gets them enthusiastic. And and then they have, you know, huge energy. And adults are are no different. You know, the the kid in us still lives. And uh, you you can see that when, when people get unleashed on you know, on a high and, and <laughs> when people go out, often they need a bit of alcohol to help them get enthusiastic about things. Uh, but once they do get enthusiastic about it, they, they've got, you know, boundless energy. I mean, you know, long, long time ago now, but I remember if, uh, you know, if there's a, a girl that I was uh, after, it's amazing the energy I'd have at two in the morning to, to keep going and, and, and keep talking and, and trying to, you know, uh, uh, get to know them better. So, you know, it, it is a, a, a huge source of energy and, and, and it's, 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 it's where you really need to be a lot of the time if you're going to succeed in tennis. You've got, to, you've got to have a lot of enthusiasm if you see the, the you know, top players. You know, I mean, Alcaraz is a fantastic example of somebody who, you know, really has enthusiasm for the game. Nadal, I mean, Fedra, all in their own different styles but they absolutely love what they're doing. Yeah, I saw, and that's a really good point. I actually watched the French Open. I saw, um, I think it was Sissipas was interviewed, and he was saying something along those lines that he plays tennis. He was like, I, I play tennis because I love playing tennis. Like, this is, you know, I'm getting paid to be here to play tennis, and I love playing tennis, and that's the reason his why is based on basically what you said, right, which is enthusiasm. Um, I wanted to very, touch... Very oh, go ahead, sorry. That's very interesting there, because Sissipas says that but if you watch him play you don't see that enthusiasm and i think that maybe that's to do with a bit of shyness i don't know but he doesn't actually show it and i think if he could show his enthusiasm more on the court in on the match court i think it would help him ah oh, that's a great point that's yeah that's a really good point um so another thing you focused on in your book was this idea of trusting the process and having having small improvements. How do you explain this to an, to an athlete in, in a world that's often very outcome-focused and we often are focused on quick success and quick fixes? How do you, how would you explain that to an athlete or how would you work on an athlete with that? Uh, 
well, I think the first thing that the athlete has to be aware of is what you want, which is a better ranking, better results. How do you actually work on that? Can you actually work on, you know, uh, a result? You know, well, then they'll come to the thing and say, well, you know, if you, if you work hard and you get better, then your results and rankings will improve. So then I'll say, correct. So what is the point on, you know, reading everybody else's rankings, you know, and, and, and stressing over results when the only thing that's actually going to get those things better is to focus on getting better every day, just get a little bit better because the better you get, the, the, the more people you can beat and the more people you can beat, the better the results will be. The other big thing is you know, all players lose a lot of matches. You know, as an example, right now, you can look at Ben Shelton, who, who is a fantastic uh, prospect, but he's 10 and 15 on the year. But I'm willing to bet that his attitude hasn't changed. And whilst he might not be very confident at the moment, all it takes is maybe one match. And he knows this where he catches fire and suddenly the results go. So you'll see, you know, a player ranked, you know, 36 in the world who could end the year maybe 50-50 on matches. But tennis is all about winning streaks. And if you, you know, if you go first round, first round, first round, first round, four first rounds in a row, and then you make final, at the end of that run, you'll be four and five. But that will have you far higher ranked than if you go second round, second round, second round, second round, second round, five times in a row, and uh, and you still have a 50-50 record, a slightly better record, in fact. Uh, but the person who's made one final is, is going to be higher ranked. So you, you have to keep working for those improvements and have the patience to wait for your winning streak to come and that's when you make your moves and if you if you're kidding yourself unless you're you know Djokovic Nadal Federer and they're at their best and you know at right at the very top of the game that you're going to be winning you know huge amounts more than you're losing uh so it's part of the sport so stop worrying about results and start focusing on getting better and finding that moment where you get hot and try to go as far as you can when you're hot. Amazing. Yeah, I really, I really think that's an awesome answer. I, love, I just love that idea of, of, yeah, trusting the process, right? But in when you're coaching players, and obviously you've had some, you know, you've coached some very successful players, how do you, in those moments, like in the example you gave where they went first round, first round, first round, first round, how would you talk to them in those dark moments, right? How would you kind of like get them to continue to, to keep showing up? What would you say to them? I mean, the first question is, do you believe you're getting better? They might say no at that point, say, you know, it just seems like I'm getting worse. And I'll say, okay, are you doing the work? Yes. So if you're doing the work, how is it possible that you cannot be improving somewhere? The difference is you've just lost confidence. And you need to regain your confidence. 
So you can do certain things about that. You can drop down a level so that you can win some matches and get some confidence. Uh, but if you really believe that you belong at the level that you're at and that the results will come, then you have to keep the same great attitude and realize that with every loss, you're one match closer to a winning streak. And I think uh, it, it is crucial for players to understand that it will always change. And if they look back in their history, nobody just carries on losing. Just like nobody just carries on winning all the time. You know, everybody loses matches and most players go through some really rough periods, but it always changes. So why would that formula suddenly change, you know, alter this time round? So trust that at some point you'll find it again and then you'll go. And, and there is a difference between belief and confidence. You can, you know, everybody is more confident at certain times than, than others. So that's kind of like sand on top of a, of a wall. Whereas uh, belief is something that is the brick wall that you got to believe that you can, that you can do well and then wait for the confidence to come. Wow, what a, what a cool analogy. Yeah, I love that with the, the wall. How would you, if you were trying to, let's say, cultivate more belief, how would you go about that if you're working with an athlete? Let's say they were struggling to find that belief as, as part of the wall. How would you cultivate more self-belief for the athlete? Um, well, belief comes from competence. So the, the analogy I give with that is, okay, let's say you squat... Uh, 80 kilos and your goal is to squat 150 well you could put 150 on the bar and go I believe I believe I believe I believe I believe and you're not going to get anywhere near lifting it and you could come every day and go I know and you could meditate and do affirmations I believe I believe I believe and you got no shot but if you say okay I'm going to now put on 85 kilos and I'm going to work hard and slowly build my strength. Uh, right now, you, you'd have no belief that you can lift 150 because you can't. Got nowhere, you can't lift 120 or 100. But by the time you get the strength and get to 140 kilos, how much belief have you got in your process that for sure you're going to get to 150. So a lot of people are trying to believe that they can be a pro tennis player when they haven't even hit, you know, top junior level. Work at getting to top junior level and then maybe going and playing good college tennis. Uh, and then the next step would be pro, but because you're much closer, your belief that you can do it will have increased. So you, you can't manufacture belief without any evidence to say that you can do it. And you have to build that evidence until it's compelling in your own mind. 
I don't know, I'd imagine that having that belief is something you can then lean back on, right? When you're in those moments to be like, do you know what? I have cultivated this through the work and that then I guess feeds into into the confidence and the belief, right? It's like a, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I mean, the belief that you have to have, which is crucial, is that you're on the right process to get there. So, you know, if, you, if you've got that bar at you know 80 kilos and you can do that and then somebody comes along and says you know the way you want to do this is loads of reps at 20 kilos and and then you'll be able to lift more well if you if you if, if your process is completely wrong then you also won't get there so you have to have absolute belief in the people around you and in your process that they're taking you in the right direction if you're going, you know, if you got the tree up the wrong, up the, <laughs> up the wrong tree, uh, uh, sorry, the ladder up the wrong, uh, up the wrong building, it becomes very difficult. You got to, you got to know and have absolute belief in your, in your team and your process to get there. That's the belief you need. The belief in what you can do will be built on the evidence by how much you've improved. Perfect. I thank you so much for clarifying. So in the book, you talk about being in the zone. And I know this is kind of something that you see in like sports science and some sports psychology. But for you, what does it mean for an athlete to be in the zone? And how do you help athletes to be in the zone more often? Um, well, being in the zone, we all feel I mean, people can be writing an exam and be in the zone. It's, it's when nothing around you distracts you. You're just it's like you're in a uh, in a in a place where you you're just flowing freely, and you're not really thinking, yet you're aware of everything. So someone who's in the zone will will know that that somebody's walking up on the top of the stands there, but it doesn't distract them. Of course, what happens is everybody. And, and no, no person on the planet can stay in the zone all the time. And they start to think again and, and consciously think rather than unconsciously think. And then you're out of the zone. And it's really important how you manage yourself out of the zone because that's where really where matches are won and lost a lot of the time. Uh, it's very rare that somebody goes through a whole match in the zone. So managing your mind when you're out of the zone is incredibly important. But what I will say is there are certain things you can do to teach yourself to get in the zone. And, you know, one of the most simple things is just to rally up and down the middle. You rally up and down the middle and really, you know, at a pace that you're not missing. And then slowly but surely you build that pace up where you're just hitting the ball at, at match speed without missing you will soon find that you, you you get in the zone where you're just absolutely not missing. So you know how to get to that feeling. So rhythm is a big part of, of, of getting into the zone. Uh, the, the other thing is when you're out of the zone is to be a little bit relaxed about it and say, okay, I'm just going to keep working. I'm not going to overthink this and just try to find my rhythm again and be patient and as soon as I find it, 
I will, I will be back there. You know, because people tend to panic when they're out of the zone. It's like, oh my God, you know, what, what can I do now? And my forehand and this and that. Relax. Just keep fighting. Just keep trying to find your rhythm and trust that you'll, your, your rhythm will come back. But there's no way of learning. I mean, Michael Jordan used to say he, the, the basketball court was his zone. And that the moment he went in there, he, he was in the zone. It's a great uh, visualization that, you know, walk on the court, that is my zone. But the reality is, even for Michael Jordan, he was not in the zone all the time. But the, the stronger mentally you become and the more used to you are at focusing for longer periods, you know, so guys like Djokovic, Nadal, you know, Svantec, uh, you know, the best players in the world, they can focus and stay in that place for longer periods than a young player. Would you say, I'm going to, because I love your answer there, but would you say that you give your athletes like a, like a pre-match routine or like a between points routine to help them to manage those moments or kind of how would you oh, go about? Not 100%. And what would, that, what would that look like? What kinds of things would you have them do? I think a pre-match routine, it's kind of how they want to, and I'm not talking about the physical warm-up, but if you talk about the mental yep. warm-up, it's, it's deciding before they go on the court what their objective is. And, and they've got to be very, very clear. So, you know, today, you know, I'm going to really be focused that I'm going to stick to my routines between points with incredible discipline. Um, or, you know, I know I need to make a statement early in the match and I'm going to be brave enough to do it. I'm going to, you know, serve and volley one point in the first game that I serve or... You know, I'm going to take on a second serve the first chance I get. Whatever it is, that they actually plan what they're going to do out on the court. And it's got to be very simple. You know, the two things I've given you there are, are, are very, very simple. Uh, you can't plan for loads because, again, that'll overwhelm. And immediately, once you're thinking too much, you've got no chance of getting in the zone. Um, and then during points, uh, I always say that, if you miss an easy ball on, on a big point, the emotion will hit. And that's okay. Because you can't control emotions. You just manage them. But if you keep managing them, they don't hit you so hard over time. Feel the emotion and walk to your towel or walk to collect the ball. But have something that is the cutoff point. So you could say if you pick up your towel... You can scream into your towel, you can bite your towel, you can do whatever. But once you finish wiping your face, you know, you take a couple of deep breaths and it's like, okay, now it's time to play again. Everything is gone before. So you have to have a cutoff point. It's almost, you know, the other analogy I give is like, you know, uh, actors, you know, once the curtain goes up, they've got to perform. People are paying to see them. And it, people don't care if they're upset or their dog died or anything has happened in their life. People have paid money for them to perform. And once that curtain goes up, they've got to be professional and they, they need to perform. And, and that curtain going up is like the cutoff point, you know, 
And then between acts, they can, you know, the curtain goes down again, they can scream and shout, and blah, blah, but every time the curtain comes up. So as a player, pick a cutoff point where the emotions end and it's time to work again. That is such good advice. It's like almost once you step up to the line, you're fully present with what you're doing, right? You've kind of moved on from what's happened in the past. You're not worried about what's going to happen in the future and you're just going to play the next point and as it comes, right? That's that, I really love that analogy as well about the, the actor. So I can really kind of picture that. So, so thank you. Um, so let's dive into your mindset as as a coach um and obviously working in the, in the field of sports psychology and as an author so what is your why behind all of the work that you do like why are you what's your motivation for the work that you do as a coach maybe as an as a as an author what's what's your why um it really is to kind of hack what is a very long and difficult journey if you if you aiming to be a a world-class tennis player uh, or even a world-class junior you're gonna go through a hell of a lot to get there and whether you take my hacks or not uh, could shorten that journey and more importantly make it a lot more fun um, if you can grow your mind in a healthy way and and really learn how to enjoy the process um, that is far better than starting to experience matches as a as a trauma and you know players can get to the place where every match is is like trauma and you know that's not healthy and it's avoidable you do not have to think that way you do not have to see all the pressure moments as something that's going to destroy the next week of your life if you don't get through it. So that is my motivation is that people can play this game and work really hard and still enjoy doing it, even though it's such a such a brutal sport. But of course, that's part of the fun is learning how to deal with the brutality and and it's like a sweet suffering you know and and anything worth you know anything that is difficult uh and that you want to do is worth doing because you'll learn so much about yourself but if you can do it in a way that is positive rather than a way that is destructive that is that is my my why is to really help people from going down that destructive road, which is, you know, sometimes seems, you know, impossible to get out of, but you can, and you can have a, a, a healthy journey. That doesn't mean there won't be disappointments. It doesn't mean it won't be painful at times, but it's a different kind of pain when you understand and you're aware of what you're actually trying to do and aware that, everybody's going through this if they're going to come through wow wow that is that's incredible i never heard of it i've never heard of the expression sweet suffering i love that and i'm sure i'm sure the players you work with are very grateful to have your wisdom in the corner that's incredible yeah it's almost like 
kind of having meaning and, and finding growth within the suffering right and how you view it so thank you so much um so this podcast is obviously called the optimal mindset and one thing i'm kind of fascinated with is kind of i always ask my guests what is their definition of an optimal mindset so how would you define an optimal mindset um i think it's a, an unconditional competing i think if you can learn to accept all the things outside of your control and then see it as a competition to be won no matter what is happening. So for instance, if it's really windy, wanting the wind to go away is not, you know, unconditional competing. Unconditional competing is right. Today, the job is to win in really difficult, windy conditions. You know, my arm's hurting a little bit. Well, okay. Is it good enough to play the match? Yes. So today the job is to do everything possible to win with a slightly sore arm. Yeah, it, it really doesn't matter. You know, the, the opponent is playing out of his head. Great. Well, the challenge today is to see if I can find a way to break down this opponent even though he's playing great or she's playing great. Um, and that way you don't give power to adversity. Because if you focus all the time, and I can't believe it's so windy, you know, why did I have to play today, all of this stuff. You're saying that these certain conditions have power to over your career, that when these things happen, you're a victim, you cannot overcome them, and it shouldn't be happening to you. And the moment you give that kind of power to adversity, uh, you've got no shot in this sport. Wow, that's such a good definition. Yeah, I feel like even just the way you explain that, you can definitely take actionable points away from what you just said. So, so awesome. Now, Apart from your own book, which is, I would definitely recommend all of our, our listeners to, to check out because it's, it's awesome. Um, do you have any favorite books that you would recommend to people that would like to maybe work on their mind or maybe work on their sports psychology and performance? Um, great question. Uh, I do like Stoics. And one of the books that's easy to read on Stoicism is uh, Ryan Holiday. The obstacle is the way. Um, years and years ago, I read Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I think that is, you know, one of the things that really struck me on that is to try and prioritize what's really important and to, to listen as well. And I think as my career has progressed, I'm far better at asking the right questions and then listening to players answers and and sometimes adjusting the way that i would tackle something because i've heard something that they've said rather than just diving in and telling them what needs to happen uh and and help them more to find their own answers and i think stephen covey is that book is 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 very much based on on that um, the other one is very left field that I think people should read is a book called Money by Rob Moore. And the reason why, you know, when, when 
people are doing things ultimately often the byproduct they want for it is is money and the psychology around money can really really hurt people and i mean even you know athletes uh when when they start to focus or worry about the money too much and i think this is a great book to really alter your mindset as to what money really is and how you can put it in a in its rightful box and not be obsessed with 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 the fear of not having enough money or the fear of of what to do with money and everything like that and and i i think that you know for me personally uh it it was quite liberating to to get a totally different perspective on money is that something uh, that you find working with athletes and working with people that obviously they'll they'll be earning pretty well? Some of them is that something that you deal with this idea of like external validation and you know the athletes like is that something that you come across or not really? Uh, oh, definitely. I mean, I think some athletes are very motivated by by uh, by the money, and there's nothing wrong with that, as long as they always realise that the money is a byproduct of the work that they do. You know, if, if you start to do everything just purely for money, invariably you will take shortcuts to try and save money. And when you start to do that, you're not doing the right kind of work always. And you're not investing in yourself as much as maybe you should do. And that's, that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, you know, players have to invest in themselves and, and people need to invest in themselves uh, to get better. And as a result, if they get better, instead of, you know, they might invest uh, a sum of money, but it'll come back to them and maybe three, four, five, tenfold. Uh, whereas if you save the money, you may never get that return. So I think it's a it's a really important thing to understand that, you know, you have to invest in yourself, and sometimes that is financial, sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's mental. Uh, but if you don't invest in yourself, you will not, you will not get the rewards. Yeah, that's a great point. Like if you look at like from basketball, LeBron James, he spends millions on his conditioning and his ice baths and his coaches and his mindset and and that's kind of what's led to his success right so that's a really good point um yeah, I mean, okay last he, question i'll go ahead yeah. no no i was just saying exactly i'll go, I mean, go ahead there, there's so many i mean so many top players that invest a fortune in themselves but i'll guarantee you they always invested obviously as the more money they get the more they can invest and the more they get back but i'd say that mindset can start from from humble beginnings with small investments. But the idea that you always have to invest in order to get better has to be there. Otherwise, uh, you will get stuck. I love that. Say, say that again, you always invest. Say that one more time, just so I get it right. Invest so that you always get better. What did you say? Yes, you you have to invest in yourself in order to get better. If you don't invest in yourself, you will get stuck. And it doesn't oh, matter. That. That's, that's really, you know, you can think of it however you want. I'll invest 10% of what I earn 20, whatever into improving myself, whatever it is, 
it, you know, and it can start, as I said, from very humble beginnings, but you need to have a mindset that says, I know I have to invest in myself in order to get further in, in life. That is great advice. Yeah, that is awesome. All right. So uh, what would be three actionable steps someone might take to develop a more optimal mindset? Uh, the first one I've kind of touched on already is really no excuses. You know, to accept what's happening and, and really focus on overcoming rather than putting the energy into what's happening. So you know, so much energy goes into, you know, can't believe it, so many bad line calls or, you know, bad bounces or whatever it is, and all that, and accept it and, and, and say, you know, there's no excuses. You know, both players have to deal with it. Um, and in teams, you know, whatever, whatever is happening, you have to deal with what's happening and accept it and then say, okay, how do we overcome it? Or how do I overcome it? Um, second thing is, yeah, I mean, uh, going back to the first thing, just do not become a victim of what a victim of what's happening. Yeah, I think that's that's a decent summary of it. Um, that's a good question. Uh, the second thing is, I think, which happens a lot is, especially in tennis, one to one sport, is don't overestimate other people and automatically underestimate yourself. Uh, because I see that so much that, that players look at other people's rankings and their recent results and everything like that. And, and they automatically put themselves as the underdog. But there's no facts behind that. There's a lot of assumptions that have to happen. And even if somebody is higher ranked and, and you know, had some recent really good results. Remember I said, you know, if, you, if you've if you been losing a lot, you one match closer to winning. Well, the same happens when you're winning a lot, you're one match closer to losing. And so, you know, as, as, as a player going in against somebody who's hot, well, try to be in a place that, you know, somebody's got to end this hot streak. And why not me? And you can't assume how well they're going to play, how well you're going to play. Again, you know, whether they've, you know, you know, had an argument with their parents or, you know, an argument with somebody or they've got something in their life that's upsetting them. You don't know who really is going to show up on the day. So when you overestimate someone, you have to make a lot of assumptions that they're going to come out and, and be at the level that they've been at or that, you know, but the reality is everybody is different every day, you know, including yourself. So you get away from those assumptions and kind of stick to facts and don't automatically make yourself the underdog. Just go out and, again, that unconditional competing. Just go out there and fight hard and be curious as to what will happen. Uh, the third thing um, I would say is again, if things are going wrong, redefine your belief in your processes. Look at your processes, look at what you're doing and say, do I really believe this is still the way that's gonna take me forward? And if it is, 
Just keep doing the work and good things will happen. You just never know when. But sometimes you'll be looking at things and say, you know what? My instinct tells me this has to change. And then you need to change it. You can't just keep climbing a ladder that intrinsically you know is going up the wrong building. Oh man, this, those are some wise words, yeah. And I, I really particularly love the fact that you uh, you talk a lot in some metaphors as well, which really helps me to understand. So thank you so much. So where can, if people wanted to find out more, and people definitely should find out more about you, where would people go to to find out more about your your coaching and your mindset? Uh, well, I, I have an online mindset program uh, called Mindset College. So they can go there to the website Mindset College. Uh, there's also davidsamuel.com, uh, Instagram, Twitter, but I'd say go to Mindset College, sign up for, uh, I've got a, f- a free um, uh, four-step reset that they can download and then they can, uh, you know, get into my system and, and maybe join me in my monthly group, which is for coaches and parents where we talk about all sorts of different things that happen to players and to parents and to coaches and again focus on overcoming these um, areas rather than seeing them as you know problems that are unsolvable amazing well i mean having read your book so long ago it's kind of been a a really like grateful and just an amazing experience meeting you and having a chat with you on the podcast i really appreciate you coming on david you've been such an inspiring guest and people including myself are going to learn a lot so thank you so much for joining us today it's been an absolute pleasure and good luck with what you're trying to do stay in you too and and, uh (laughs) i love it i love it and you too enjoy the enjoy the summer and good luck on the uh, on the grass this season thank you very much All right, this has been the Optimal Mindset. Thank you so much for joining us today and we hope to see you again very soon. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the Optimal Mindset podcast today. We are available on SoundCloud and on Spotify. I've included all my information in the show notes for those who wish to find out more about our our guests and upcoming episodes. Remember, train your mind, optimize your life.